Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, everyone. The scripture is from Luke Chapter 14, verse 1. I don't remember how to say this. Chapter 1, verses 7 to 14. I was at the fair yesterday for too long. So, okay. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, Do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He, also, he said also to the one who invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. And was the fair fun? Was it fun? I never go. I'm always intimidated by all the people. Whew. Uh, all right, friends. Uh, all play question number one. All plays are designed to hear the melody, not just the solo. Uh, we read that uh, when Jesus noticed people were picking places of honor, he told them a parable. So what's a parable? Made-up story. What did you say about a lesson? A lesson of some kind, Alicia? Yeah, a lesson of some kind. Thanks, Alicia. What's a parable? An anecdote. 100%, yes. Thanks, Greg. A story with meaning to be interpreted. Love that. Parable is a metaphor. Thanks, Joe. Treasure hunt. Thanks, Nate. Love it. All those questions or all those answers are right and good. Uh, parables are kind of like riddles, except for they're not really like riddles. They're like those Russian dolls, you know? They start this big, and then you open it up, and you're like, oh, yeah, and then oh, 
there's another layer. Oh my gosh, ah! And then you get down to this little tiny coffee bean, you know, that's painted and you can barely tell. Uh, but the thing about the parable is you can go as far as you're able to go. So it's got as many layers in it as you are able to open. And so there can be many applications and many interpretations, and they're sort of designed to trip you up at least a little bit. You shouldn't automatically have the right answer to the parable. And if you do, it's probably what? <laughs> now, what's it like to get a wrong answer? What's it like to give a wrong answer? It's a great way to learn. We hate it. I hate giving a wrong answer. But if you give the wrong answer and you are willing to learn something, it's the very best teacher sometimes. <laughs> so don't pick the places of honor, Jesus says. Go to the lowest place and sit there. Your host may come and move you to a place of greater honor. And I don't know exactly how weddings were like back in the time of Jesus because in my day, in my day, uh, I don't get to go to the, the, the table where all the wedding party is sitting and just sit there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't get to just pick that place, right? So I'm not sure if people got to pick those places or not. But Jesus gives them this funky, weird instruction. Don't pick the places of highest honor. Go to the lowest place and sit there. Your host may come and move you to a place of greater honor. Now, one layer is a literal layer, you could open that Russian doll up and say what? Okay, I will. I will pick the lowest spot. So where's the lowest spot? I will sit there. Then what will you do? What will you wait for? You will wait for someone to move you up. And if you do that, you have... <laughs> you have won. If they move you up at the next wedding, what are you going to do? Same thing, man. Follow the rule. What happens, though? <gasps> what if you don't get moved up? Now, maybe at one wedding, you'd be like, well, maybe I didn't wear nice enough clothes or something. Or maybe I wore too nice of clothes. <laughs> Jeez. So now you're going to manipulate it. If you follow the rule exactly, and if now you have a new rule, don't, sit at the, don't pick the places of greatest honor, pick the lowest spot. If that's a new rule for you, then I guarantee you, you'll have a new question, and that is, if you do it long enough, how low is low enough to be considered low? That's what you'll do. Now, I think it still might be helpful to do it for two or three or four times. That could be a great teacher. But is Jesus giving a new rule? That was a terrible rhetorical question. That's why no one answers. We don't answer rhetorical questions. So I think Jesus is saying this. He's using this parable to say as long as you're consciously calculating the value of yourself or others by the, by the seat that you sit in, you will always miss the point. And then he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So what does it mean to try to exalt yourself? 
My friend John Crosby's here. John has been a preacher for many years. And John used to, John and Laura's wife used to be at Christ Presbyterian, who was the biggest outside supporter of Genesis Covenant. Different denomination, who cares, they said. And so thank you, John and Laura, and thank you, CPC. Yay. Um, Seriously. Um, In the world of preaching, there's a phrase, when someone who's young gets a lot of pulpit time. And the phrase is that some of us older guys sometimes whisper to each other when we're feeling mean, is overexposed and underprepared. (laughs) Know what I mean? Overexposed and underprepared. And um, what that means is, for a preacher like me, be careful what um, places you demand to occupy. Now, you aren't preachers, so that, that illustration was for me. Uh, but this humbling moment that I'll tell you about is, was not that big of a deal, but I think it'll prove the point. I was playing basketball with some guys um, in my early 30s. I was 31, and so I was young enough to remember what it was like to be a basketball player, but old enough to no longer be a basketball player. And I was playing pickup basketball with some guys who were very good, but there was one guy who like, didn't fit. He was, again, I was 31. He was maybe in his mid-50s. He was kind of shorter. He was wearing a sweatshirt while playing basketball with long sleeves and a hoodie. Uh, and he, he played like he looked. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think he probably was wearing like running shoes with socks pulled up. And, um, but everyone on the court seemed to like respect him and listen to him. And he was kind of vocal on the court. Well, in one game, I missed, I think, every one of my shots. And he was standing on the side. And when I came out, I just kind of shouted to no one, but he was right there. I go, man, none of my shots are falling today. And he looks at me and he goes, how many times have you practiced between last week and right now? And he knew the answer to that question. <laughs> I said, well, zero. And he said, then you should be completely satisfied with your performance today. <laughs> what does it mean to try to exalt yourself and then to get humbled? The truth is we need moments where our pride and dishonesty are exposed so that we can get honest and humble, so that we can begin to let go of our calculating self that sees ourself in a line, and everyone to our left is worse than us in whatever category you want to pick, and everyone to our right is better than us in whatever category you want to pick, and where the game in in life is just to get You don't need to get to the front of the line. I mean, geez. But you might want to get, you know, one or two pegs up, right? It's important and I think even necessary to have moments of necessary humbling. So I think there's a Toy Story 4 coming out, I've heard, or is it already out? Anyone know? Is it? Okay, Pierce, have you seen it? Is it good? 
Oh, really? It's really scary. Oh, my goodness. I haven't seen it yet, as is evidenced by my poor announcement. Uh, Which do you think is the best Toy Story movie of all four, Pierce? Anyone agree with that? Number one, agree with Pierce? So I like Buzz Lightyear. Sorry, but I love Buzz Lightyear, actually. And so Buzz Lightyear, if you're not familiar with Toy Story, he's a toy, they're all toys, but Buzz actually doesn't think he's a toy. Buzz actually thinks that when he radios the mothership, he's getting the mothership, but she's just out of range. He actually thinks he can fly, and he actually thinks he's here to save the world. And Woody keeps telling him, you can't fly, you're a toy. So there's this one moment in the movie that's really poignant, and he stumbles into this room with the TV on, and the TV is showing a commercial of Buzz Lightyear toys. And it shows at the end, so the whole thing shows what Buzz does, little buttons that he push, and he's looking at it like this moment of terror and horror where he's realizing Woody was right, he is a toy. And at the end, they show Al's toy barn with the just rows and rows of all these Buzz Lightyears. And he's just, he walks away just completely deflated, humiliated. But then he sees this open window. Then he climbs up on this banister, flips his wings out. Because you know what? They're all wrong. He's right. And he jumps off that banister toward the open window and he gets about an inch, and then he falls onto the entryway floor and breaks his arm. And he goes into this dark place. This moment of humiliation for Buzz Lightyear, where he realizes he's just a toy. All play question, what's that moment like? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Defeating. Confusing. Crushed, yeah. You want to hide. Thanks, Cassandra. I remember preaching one time a long time ago at Christ Pres, and it was not my best performance, and I knew it. So I went into John's office on Tuesday, and he was there, and I go, John, you saw that mess. What happened? And he just smiled, and he told me what he told me, and it was very gracious, but it was also honest. And so having a moment of necessary humiliation, if you're willing to grow and learn, is what? It's a gift. It's life. you got to walk into the office, though, every once in a while. Amen? You have to ask someone, hey, you saw that mess. What happened? Thomas Keating, who just died recently, he said, humility is an attitude of honesty with God, oneself, and all of reality. It enables us to be at peace in the presence of our powerlessness and to rest in the forgetfulness of self. Now, what he's not saying is you're a terrible person and you just, you're not important. Forgetfulness of self is really 
being less preoccupied with the game of the line where you're trying to always get one up. That's what he's talking about. And he's talking about to be at peace in the presence of our powerlessness is a real gift, right? It reminds me of Mary, the mother of Jesus, when after she has, she has this conversation with the messenger who tells her she's going to bear the Son of God into the world. And after this conversation, how will this be? She finally says, let it be done unto me just as you say. That's resting in the forgetfulness of self and being at peace in the presence of your powerlessness. So don't walk too quickly away from moments of necessary humbling. And Jesus goes on, and he, then he talks to the people who invite people to parties. And he says, don't invite people who might pay you back with an invitation. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be happy because they won't repay you. Now, those of you who have people over, you hear the words of Jesus. What do you do with them? Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your family. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. What's your next question? <laughs> what does it really mean? Or like, well, how poor do they have to be? There's probably some people in this room that would count, right? You know what I'm um, including your <laughs> No. Um, how blind. My aunt can't see really. Right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. Like, we, how, okay, how, 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 and then some of us go, okay, I am never inviting a friend over to my house again. I am never inviting a family over to my house again because Jesus said, and then you start inviting people, you know, the, the, you say, okay, you know, where, where's a person that's blind or crippled or lame? Um, and then if you are thinking in that first layer still, you will be looking for a payback from them, <laughs> even though Jesus told you you can't get paid back. And if not from them, from someone. The next time you're around like some people, you're going to die until you can say, uh, and you slip it into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I had some people over, some homeless people to my house. It's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was awesome. Oh. But I think what Jesus is talking about is being around people who can't pay you back, but doing it because you realize that is how you become blessed and wanting to do it. Not, and even that is not catching the spirit of it right. Jim Carrey, who gave us Ace Ventura and Lloyd Christmas, and to whom we should be forever grateful, <laughs> he said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. And you know, that's so compelling that we retweet that quote. We use it in sermons, you know. Because that's so compelling. It sounds so true. I promise you, there's at least one rich and famous person in the world that still thinks it's going to give them the answer. Not everybody that gets to be where Jim Carrey talks about gets to find out that it's not the answer. It takes a conscious movement to get there. So I've done some listening to interviews with Jim Carrey, and let me tell you, he has been on a journey. 
He ended up connecting with Father Gregory Boyle, who leads Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. And Greg Boyle, if you haven't read Tattoos on the Heart um, or uh, his second book, whose name I can't remember, it's, it's just a collection of stories about how he was so, he became so, he's, as a priest in Los Angeles, working with guys who, he's done like 250 funerals of these young men who've died because of violence. And he's trying to overturn this idea that incarceration is, is the only answer. So he's uh, started to give jobs to people who used to be in gangs. And, um, and it's just, it's so powerful uh, the, the way he has met Jesus in his own words through some of these young men. And so they invited Jim Carrey uh, to give a speech at this event at Homeboy Industries with all these uh, guys who are used to being gangs. It's, it's just, you, you can you just, just Google it. Just Google Jim Carrey, Homeboy Industries. But this is what he said um, after Father Greg introduced him. Uh, and, and his face, you know, his beautiful face, uh, wasn't doing, you know, the rubber contortions that it normally does, just normal, crinkly eyes. And he said, you guys, it's so good to be here. I just want to tell you a few things. Number one, suffering leads to salvation. And we have to accept, not deny, but feel our suffering and feel our losses. And then we can make one of two decisions. We either decide to go through the gate of resentment after suffering, which leads to vengeance and self-harm, or we decide to go through the gate of forgiveness, which leads to grace. And that's the picture of Christ on the cross. And that, I mean, that video, just watch it, it's just... Ace Ventura teaching us about the path to humiliation and love through suffering. So I think what Jesus is trying to get at is not to apply a couple new rules about how to throw parties, but how to live a life that really leads to joy, real joy, deep freedom and kinship that really is heart to heart. Amen? Last thing I'll share with you is a quote from Teilhard de Chardin, and I love this one too. He said this, above all, trust in the slow work of God. (laughs) Oh man, I want to be, I want to change fast. Above all, Trust in the slow work of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.